Welcome to 5280 Sportscast. I'm James. And this is Tiger. And today in football, we will be talking about Super Bowl predictions, offensive rookie of the year, running back duos, and how they ruin the game of football, and game of the week. And in this segment of basketball, we will be talking about the dysfunction in the Washington Wizards organization, how Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton should have been the first overall pick in the 2018 draft, and finally, if Duke can beat the Cavs. This is part two of the series.
Hey guys, I hope you enjoy our podcast today. Um, if you did, follow our podcast and follow our Instagrams. Um, our Instagram is 5280sportscast, sportscast for general sports. And then for fantasy football, follow uh, fantasyinsiders underscore presents. Thank you and have a great day. All right, James, I want your predictions on the AFC, NFC championships, and then who makes it to the Super Bowl. Okay, so for the AFC, okay, I have the Steelers versus the Chiefs. I feel like the Chiefs are given. They were the first team in NFL history. It was... Sorry, we'll restart. I have... All right, James, give me your predictions for the AFC, NFC, and then the Super Bowl. Okay, so for the AFC predictions, I have the Chiefs versus the Steelers. I believe the Chiefs are a given after they were the first team to lose after scoring more than 50 points. It was 216 wins to zero losses for a team scoring above 50 points, and the Chiefs were the first ones to lose. Okay, but I feel like the Steelers get past the Patriots and they make it to the AFC, but I don't believe that the Steelers have the defensive power to stop the Chiefs' offense of Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, Sammy Watkins, and Patty Mahomes. For the NFC, I have the Saints versus the Rams. Now, I would usually choose the Saints over the Rams, but with Aqib Tlaib coming back into the starting lineup as cornerback, I feel like they can neutralize Michael Thomas to under 100 yards receptions. So I have the Rams versus the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Now, here's the plot twist. The Chiefs lost to the Rams by three. But I believe Patty Mahomes, who I believe will be the youngest MVP in NFL history, will not make the same mistake twice, and they come away with a win. 47-43. Jeez. That's some great predictions. Okay, Tiger, I want to know your predictions on the AFC Championship, the NFC Championship, and who wins the Super Bowl, and what's the score? All right, so I think the Chiefs are making the AFC game, too. However, I don't think the Steelers get past the Patriots. I think the Patriots make it, and the Patriots end up beating the Chiefs in that game because that team is so young. They haven't won a playoff game on the road, and I feel like they will be on the road playing the Patriots. That's going to be a huge game. Patriots always have the advantage when they're playing in Foxborough. All right, um, so now we have the Patriots going to the Super Bowl. We're going to be talking about the NFC. And I have the Rams and the Saints going there as well. Um, however, the Saints have made huge acquisitions in the offseason. Or not in the offseason, but by, before the trade deadline, they got a guy named Eli Apple. That guy, the Giants did not like him. They always had conflict. But, however, he's playing very well in this new Saints defense. He's gotten a pick. Um, he fits in there. And I feel like he'll be able to stop a lot of what's going on with the Rams wide receivers. They got two really good cornerbacks. They got Marshawn Lattimore and Eli Apple. I feel like the Saints come out on top. However, when we go into the into the Super Bowl, I think the Saints, they just overpowered the, the, the Patriots. They have more talent. They have, in my opinion, one of the best offensive-minded coaches. Sure, the Patriots have made it to more Super Bowls, but I think the Saints come out on top. And I think it's going to be 20-27. to 27. Duke versus the Cavs. 
Who do you think wins? I got Duke in this, and let me tell you why. They have a trio of players. They had the top three high school recruits in the class. Cameron Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williamson. Now, some of you might be saying the pace of play from college to NBA is definitely different. But these kids have the abilities now to play in the NBA. R.J. might not be shooting the best right now, but R.J. will get you points, rebounds, and assists. And we all know what Zion can do. 270... Six seven six eight. This kid's gonna go into the league and he's going to destroy it. Zion will have no problem transitioning into the league, okay. And with Coach K, one of the best, if not the best, college coach of all time, versus what they have in Cleveland, I don't think the Cavs could pull this off. I feel it would be a close game, and I know what people are saying. The Cavs have been doing this for years. The players have been doing this for years. I get that. But skill and talent sometimes beats experience. Okay? Zion and RJ have something no one else right now on the Cleveland Cavaliers have. And you add in Cameron Reddish, the third overall best high school recruit, who is a 3 and D player. This dude's got length. And he was the best shooter in high school in this class. And he will shoot the lights out on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. So we brought all those into consideration. But let me argue my point. Like, I feel like experience is a huge part of how this would play out. And not only that, the toll that it would take on every single one of their bodies playing 82 games. I feel like that would that would impact how this game would play out. And I also feel like size and readiness do you think do you think that would play anything because i feel like you know you know what i mean like the size of all of their like versus the cleveland cavaliers versus duke do you think the size would matter i feel like rj barrett and zion williamson have the size and their body is ready for any 82 games in a season the only one i'm worried about is cameron reddish cameron reddish does need to get some weight and muscle on him but this that doesn't stop him from shooting the three lights out on people. That doesn't stop him. But I get where you're saying where the Cleveland Cavaliers, the experience and how ball movement works in the NBA, how it does to college, how the game is evolving. But these kids are the next generation. They've already have started to evolve the game. They've already compared Zion to LeBron. Now, we don't know how good Zion will be. It's too early to predict that he will be just as good or better than LeBron. But no one on Cleveland Cavaliers has anyone like Zion Williamson, Cameron Reddish, or R.J. Barrett. Okay, so now let me get to my other point. So what happens when you need to take Zion Williamson out? What happens when you need to take R.J. Barrett out? What happens when you take need to take Reddish out? What happens then? Do you think, like, all of a sudden, if you take those three guys out, Cleveland Cavaliers are just going to demolish and score a bunch of points and get, like, break the lead? Like, get, you know, get a big lead on them because all their top three guys are out, you know, on a break. Uh, I wouldn't say that's too much of an issue. I can see where you see that's an issue. The Cavaliers would go on a run yeah. when the subs are in. But with Coach K, he usually puts... Zion, Cameron Resch, and R.J. Barrett in for at least 30 to 32 minutes a game in a 40-minute overall game in college. 32 minutes in the NBA 
is a round starter and some all-stars play 32 minutes a game. Now, they might have to play 35, 36 for them to be able to pull this off, but I wouldn't be too worried because the Cleveland Cavaliers have yet to show that they can go on extended amounts of runs and keep knocking down shots. I feel Duke is too well coached to let the Cleveland Cavaliers go on anything more than a 10-0 run while the subs are in. I feel like Coach K has more knowledge of basketball than many of the coaches in the NBA. And I feel like that's a huge factor in all this. Well, there it is, folks. So, James, we have the question. Um, so, you know, Barkley, you know, he's having a huge season. He has, what, seven touchdowns on the season? Seven rushing touchdowns. touchdowns. Seven rushing touchdowns this season. Um, and we both know Nick Chubb has five so far. And we also know Lindsey has five so far. So what do you think, if they would have got to play the entire season, do you think they would be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year? Well, we'll start off with some more not-so-obvious answers because I feel like right now Saquon Barkley is in the lead for Offensive Rookie of the Year, no, no doubt. Di- no doubt. But Philip Lindsay has speed. This dude's got wheels. He burns everyone. Philip Lindsay shares carries with Royce Freeman. Royce Freeman was a starting back since the first game. And then they kind of did a duo back, and now we kind of see Lindsay taking more of the load. However, Royce Freeman has uh, quite a few touchdowns of his own and running yards. I think between the Broncos' backfield, their duo backfield of running backs, they have over 1,000 yards. Lindsay has about 600 of them, close 700. I feel like if Royce Freeman wasn't in the mix, Philip Lindsay would be right up there with Saquon Barkley. Now with Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb is kind of in the same situation with Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde has had the experience. He's been known for being a pro bowler in the past. He's had pretty damn good yards per carry at four, averaging like four in his career. That's a solid running back. However, I feel like not many people got exposed to how good Nick Chubb was at Georgia with sharing carries with Sonny Michelle. But when Nick Chubb arrived against the Falcons, I think he put everyone on notice that he could have been Rookie of the Year if he got most of the workload since day one. He had the longest Browns rushing touchdown at 92 yards against the Falcons. Now, here comes Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley has something that neither of these people have. He's heavier, he's got decent speed for his size, and he can catch and make many more yards after contact than any of those guys. And sure. have you seen his calves? Dude, they're huge. His calves are huge, Tiger. But my point being was Saquon Barkley can do everything that those guys can. He's got the speed, may not be as fast as Nick Chubb, he may not be fast as Philip Lindsay, but he can still run. And I feel like his footwork and his yards per carry after contact definitely is the deciding factor. Yeah, and then we also, I guess, have to take into consideration, do you think the quarterback problem inside the Giants world, do you think that might be holding back um, Barkley, or do you think that's helping him? I feel like, honestly, right now the load Barkley's getting is good because we see Eli Manning, his last game, he was 17 of 18 on throwing. So he didn't throw many, and then other games he'll throw 30-plus. 
I feel like they're in a little bit of a predicament, but it's balanced enough for Saquon because Odell wants the ball. Odell wants Manning to try to sling it down and get yeah, the deep balls. Yeah. He's come out and said that. But, however, I think the Giants have realized with Eli getting age, the less passes he throw, maybe the better he will at completing them and them being more accurate. I feel like it's a dink and dunk game for the Giants right now, and I feel like that really sets up Saquon Barkley. I totally agree. Um, I also feel I feel the exact same way you do about Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay. You know, it's really interesting on how, like, Terrell Davis ended up giving or allowing Philip Lindsay to use his number. When Philip Lindsay asked if he could use Terrell Davis's number, he's like, yeah, go for it. I thought that was really cool. And I, I, I truly hope Philip Lindsay breaks all of Terrell Davis's records. Um, I don't know. However, the backfield in Denver, it's awesome. But taking a look at it now, like, it's like the further along we go on, it's like... Now we have three running backs in the mix, and we are using Booker as like a third down back. If Lindsey's like tired, and he's getting some passes, you know, all three of them are getting work every single game. We haven't seen a game if they're all healthy. We haven't seen a game where they're all not in the mix. Um, Nick Chubb, he's a really interesting guy. I don't think he would have won Rookie of the Year just because the Browns' offense. In the very beginning, they, they were very slow, and all they did was run the ball. And I don't know, for a newer guy, that's kind of hard to, you know, always know that there's going to be eight guys in the box always defending you and always trying to stop you. Um, that's our... our uh, that's our opinion on That's Nick. our opinion on Rookie of the Year and on those two guys. Like, worst case... And, like, let it be quiet. So it's easy to... Another big factor, I believe, in the NFL in today's game that we're seeing is duo backs, Tiger. We've seen it for a while. We've seen it with Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard in Cincinnati. We've seen it in college with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. We're seeing it in Denver, you know, with Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, sometimes now Trevor Booker's getting in the mix. And then we've also seen it with Devontae Freeman and Trevor Coleman. Or Tavon Coleman. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I believe the game of the week to watch is the Green Bay Packers versus the Minnesota Vikings. Now, remember, the first time they played the season, they finished in a tie in overtime. Now, there has been an unusually um, good amount of ties this year in the NFL. But if you like to look at the standings here, Green Bay is only behind Minnesota by one game. I feel like this game is going to be a deciding factor of who's going to make the playoffs. Because both the Vikings and Green Bay can still make the playoffs. The top six teams will make the playoffs. And right now, Minnesota is at six with five and four, and Green Bay is nine with four and five. So if the ninth seed is only separated by one game to the sixth seed, both these teams still have a chance to make the playoffs, whether or not they win or lose. But I feel like this crucial game will be a deciding factor because if Green Bay falls to 4-6-1, and one, they're going to need a win streak to come back and make the playoffs. But the same with the Vikings. If the Vikings are now 5-5-1, five, five and one, it will bump Seattle up and it will bump Dallas up and it will bump Green Bay up to tie with the Vikings. So I feel like this is a crucial game for both teams and I feel like it's going to be very fun to watch. 
because we didn't get our deciding answer of who the clear winner was in the first game, and I feel like this game is going to be different. I I like it. So those are my thoughts and opinions on the game of the week to watch. What's your opinions, Tiger? So I think the most interesting game this year is going to be the Redskins versus the Cowboys. Now, it's not going to be so much about the Redskins. It's more going to be if the Cowboys can actually prove and show that they are a playoff team. Now, the Redskins, you know, they lost their quarterback, and they're now projected to sign Mark Sanchez. Um, But Colt McCoy is supposed to start. Cowboys have a history with Colt McCoy. Um, I think the Cowboys come out on top. I think the Cowboys will try everything they do can do to win this game. They're going to be throwing the ball a lot. They're going to be doing anything to get into the end zone to win this game. Let's also not forget that Colt McCoy, three to four years ago, was the starter for a while when they were indecisive on Kirk Cousins and after RG3 was injured and gone. Colt McCoy did play the Cowboys, and they beat the Cowboys with Colt McCoy before. So it is still a very high possibility that the Redskins can somehow still pull this off. So do we trust Colt McCoy? Uh, I feel like Colt McCoy, you know, he was great in college. He was iffy in the NFL. But Colt McCoy can still give you some Ws. He might not throw two to three touchdowns a game, but he will give you field goal he'll get you in field goal range plenty of times it's just whether or not if the Redskins defense can stop Ezekiel Elliott and probably Amari Cooper I feel like yeah and I feel like this game is also going to rest a lot of the shoulders on the running backs I feel like AP is gonna have to have a huge game and the Cowboys defense on stopping the run is huge they've that uh I forget his name but number 55 for the Cowboys he's a rookie um he is an absolute baller that guy has get he getting picks. This guy's making tackles. This guy's stopping the run. This guy's getting sacks. This guy can do everything. So do you think that's also another factor of like AP versus Zeke? I feel like that's a, a huge factor because I feel like with Colt McCoy in, Adrian Peterson's going to see a higher workload than he usually does, which... It's Adrian, already huge. It's already huge. Yeah. But without Alex Smith, who's been known for a pro ball quarterback and is one of the safest and turnover to interception ratios usually, he's a great quarterback. But when you're bringing in a backup that can still give you some touchdowns, not too many, Adrian Peterson's going to get more carries, and that's what he likes. It's just whether or not if Adrian Peterson can, can be productive yeah, on can, those can carries. Yeah, can use those carries. Um, what do you think about the Cowboys? What do you think what do you think the Cowboys have to do to win the game? I think the Cowboys need to open up more play action passes because they're starting to give Zeke more carries, which is what people want because Zeke is the obvious offensive playmaker on that team. Yep. He's now acquired a catching and receiving game out of the backfield, which has been huge for him. And so I feel like if you can open up some play action passes on this Redskins defense, I feel like you're going to get some good looks from Dak Prescott. But I also know I've also known that um, they're also going to be out with like one of their starting offensive linemen. They already didn't have one of them before. Now they have a second one out. Do you think that's going to affect the ability of Zeke, or do you think like the play action, like a lot of that? like has to do with the offensive line if you don't have a good offensive line play action can be 
can be blown up and cause a lot of problems. That's another thing that could be very hard. I feel like that's very much harder on Dak Prescott getting sacked, especially on play actions. I don't feel that way with Zeke because I know Zeke can bounce off and Zeke will get his yards. However, I feel like just because you're out to alignment, starting alignment, it's the next guy up. So you can't adjust, always adjust your playbook too crazy. Play action passes are going to be key in this game, I feel like. Now, you might not be able to run a lot of them due to those O-linemen being out, but you got to make sure the times you are doing those play-action passes that the O-linemen are doing their job because I feel like, especially with Cole Beasley and Amari Cooper, after giving it to Z quite a few times, I feel like play-action will open up. I agree. Um, I, I also think that this game is going to be both defenses are going to like ball out. I feel like both defense will, both defenses will get turnovers. Um and I feel like whoever gets the most like most picks, most turnovers, I feel like that decides who wins this game. All-star backcourt in Washington that's been there for years is up for a trade. Now, there's always been some question about John Wall being a good leader and that he's had problem with their previous center, Marcin Gortat. Now, Washington has never truly been a real threat for a playoff championship, in my eyes. But here's the thing. Those pieces, their all-star backcourt, can fit amazingly well in other teams. Like, for instance, I would love to see Bradley Beal go to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are a young team, okay? They're trying to make a push in the playoff to get a fan base back, and Bradley Beal would be the fit. The Lakers are lacking three-point shooting, and that's what LeBron is known for. He's known for his dribble penetrations, and then he kicks it out to the corner for the three. Bradley Beal is also a decent defender and an all-star. However, John Wall is going to be hard to trade on this market with his lack of leadership you know his verbal onslaught on scott brooks and just his problem with teammates and coaches is a huge factor in the trade market also his 38 to 40 million dollar contract near a max contract that might be a max contract is not what teams are looking for because he's tied in for another four years at max yeah and he's so, tied in for four more years yeah Bradley Beal, if the Lakers were to acquire Bradley Beal, they would still be able to, after cap holds and everything, if they let go of Rondo and a couple other one-year players, they will be able to sign a near to a yeah a near max contract player to go after like Clay to or... go after Clay Thompson. Kevin Durant might have to take a few million less, even though he said he wants a max contract. But they're looking to build a super team. In the, in the Los Angeles Lakers organization. And I believe that the only way for that to happen is to get Bradley Beal. All right. I like it. Luka Doncic versus DeAndre Ayton. Which one should have gone the first overall pick in the 2018 draft? Okay, so let's take a look at the Suns. The Suns did not have a starting center in the NBA. They had a backup guy. And, you know, the Suns went out, got Aiton, that's an elite rim protector. He has an NBA-ready body, and he can spread the floor. I think they drafted what they needed. Now, I can't disagree with you there. The Suns did need an elite rim protector. 
and DeAndre Ayton can spread the floor. But Luka Doncic was born for the NBA. He's the first European player that we've been this excited for since Dirk Nowitzki. And that's saying something. Dirk Nowitzki is sixth all-time on the all-time scoring list. Doncic is coming in about 15 games in, averaging 19, 5, and 4. This kid is a stud. He shoots like Brandon Roy and has the footwork of Andre Miller. Now, if you remember, Andre Miller was a slower point guard, but his footwork and his post moves allowed him to score with ease down low. Luka isn't as slow as Miller, but he isn't as fast as a John Wall or Eric Bledsoe with the ball. And I feel like that footwork is key for him to keep scoring down low. Now, the nice thing about Luka is he was the EuroLeague MVP in the Cup Finals. Now, people were wondering if it could transfer to the NBA, and so far it has. Now, matching it up with Devin Booker might have been better just for the fact that Booker is a pure scorer and that they could have put Luka as a small forward to set Booker up. Primarily, probably for the corner threes, but we all know Booker already scored 70 points. And I feel like Devin Booker needs the ball in his hands. Luka Doncic doesn't need the ball in his hands to be a great player. And that's what separates him from DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton can do stuff on the defensive end, but he's also really good on the offensive end. And so far, we've seen that. But we need the ball in Ayton's hand for him to do something, whereas Luka Doncic, we didn't. And that's a problem because Booker and Ayton both need the ball in their hands. They're both ball-heavy players, okay? But... Luca would have set Booker up more, and then you wouldn't have an issue on who should be having the ball at what time. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy our podcast today. Um, if you did, follow our podcast and follow our Instagrams. Um, our Instagram is fifty two eighty sportscast sportscast for general sports, and then for fantasy football, follow uh, fantasy insiders underscore presents. Thank you and have a great day.